Good day and welcome to the Outer Twilight Podcast, Season 2, Episode 5, where we're going to be looking at, I don't know, we don't have a title. Uh, the we're reviewing of, reviewers. Yeah, we're reviewing reviewers. We're doing a, a critical approach to Rotten Tomatoes, or we're going to throw Rotten Tomatoes at Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> but, uh, In certain cases, yeah. Not just picking on them, because there there is good to be found. But there's Absolutely. also a bad side to it, and there's an ugly side to it. And it's not necessarily Rotten Tomatoes' fault, but how we use it. Yeah, how we make it's use a of a tool. Yeah. But uh, a lot of tools make use of this tool. And, uh, <laughs> so, so thank you for joining these two tools as we have this conversation about uh, another aspect of criticism. And uh, so, okay, let's start with. Andrew, what is Rotten Tomatoes? So Rotten Tomatoes is a website that aggregates film and television reviews. Uh, so what that means is when a film comes out, there are people all over the world. Um, although as far as I know, Rotten Tomatoes primarily uses North American reviewers. Um, when a film comes out, re- uh, critics and movie reviewers or, you know, will write a review for a film. Those reviews are compiled at Rotten Tomatoes. And then a quantitative score, a percentage, is given to the film based on the number of reviews that like the film versus the number of reviews that don't like the film. So the top is 100%, which happens very rarely, and then goes all the way down. A movie that is, I believe, above 65% on Rotten Tomatoes is considered fresh, and anything below that is considered rotten. So one of the important things to remember about Rotten Tomatoes is it's primarily, so I used uh, quantitative and qualitative, which it's important to define what those are. Quantitative means that you are getting as much information as possible, usually broken down into statistics, in this case, a percentage. Um, And then you have a view that is compiled from a bunch of different information with numbers. Uh, Qualitative means that you are looking at a smaller, so you're looking at specific critics' reviews, in this case, and you are getting their views. You're seeking out critics that you enjoy reading or that uh, you know like similar movies to what you like. And so you are reading through their reviews and evaluating based on their perspective specifically and information. Um, Rotten Tomatoes in its primary form is not designed to give you nuance about a film. Uh, it is designed to give you sort of a quick overview, including, for example, uh, reviewers, their entire review, which in certain cases may be a thousand and fifteen hundred words in an article somewhere, is reduced essentially to you know not even a soundbite, a sentence uh, to give you a sense of what they like, along with uh, a score, which I actually find kind of frustrating. It's not uniform. It can be three out of five, three out of four. It can be you know out of ten. It's whatever the reviewer uses, um, and so it's it's kind of tough to get a real sense. But that is the purpose of Rotten Tomatoes is to provide a macro overview of what people around the country, around the globe are feeling about a film. Okay. So the question that I've always had about Rotten Tomatoes is who, what reviews are they using? Where are they getting? Like, what does it take to be 
to have a review that Rotten Tomato uses to to create their score. Um. So, uh, I'll cut this part out because. Uh, okay, so when we look at uh, Tomatometer, which is what they call, Ron Tomatoes calls their evaluation, I just wanted to make sure I got the official information here. Um, okay. So their key values are insight, audience. So insight is just the quality of the criticism, basically. And the Rotten Tomatoes staff are the ones that evaluate this. So I guess there would be some subjectivity there, but they're not basing it on a particular, you know, whether you liked or disliked movies, they liked or disliked. It's just that you actually have insight into your criticism, expertise. Audience, uh, the intention is to... Uh, like when they put somebody who's an actual critic, they want that critic to have an audience like th that they're actually read or are seen or listened to by a, a bigger audience, um, that there's a quality to the review that it isn't, you know, sort of written in Twitter speak or something like that, that this is these are people that do this for a living. This is their primary job. Um, and so and then their dedication. And so if you're somebody that publishes on the regular you are getting your reviews out there and they are read, then that's what's going to um, get you approved. And so those four key values combine to basically try to fish out anybody who's simply, you know, kind of doing it as a lark or, uh, you know, maybe a hobby where they review just the movies they like, or even just, you know, they only see movies that they like, which is a distinction for a lot of critics. Um, and so that's how you get approved is you kind of have to apply and prove that you are, someone who has an opinion that's worth listening to based on what other people have said. So, okay. So like when, so the recent movie black Adam, um, yeah. part of the DCEU came out and the rotten tomato score. Like, yeah, I, I look at it right now and it's 39%. Right. But I also remember seeing where, okay, so rotten tomatoes, 39, but, audience uh what was the audience reaction or audience <laughs> like 80 80 was, something yeah w was really high but that right. wasn't rotten tomatoes right rotten tomatoes just has their yeah so and that was a part that i, I forgot to mention so where and, and it's important is actually that uh, rotten tomatoes allows audience reviews meaning you can be just some ordinary schmuck who's going to see the movie um and you can have an opinion on it and you can put an opinion on there um Usually, though, you're amongst thousands of other people, uh, unlike the critics where there's maybe a couple hundred, um, you're talking like anybody can write an audience review and say whether they liked it or didn't like it. Um, so what you're talking about, Mike, has happened a few times in, in multiple directions, actually. So there have been times recently where, you know, uh, a property is actually really well reviewed by critics. Um, and then the audience score is in the, in the tank. Right. And then, uh, as you pointed out with black Adam, the, the critics reviews weren't overly high. There were, you know, 39%. So the movie's considered rotten from a critical perspective, but the audience mm -hmm. is saying that they really liked it. Right. Yeah. I'm looking at it now like the, okay. So the tomato meter or tomometer. <laughs> yeah. Um, tomato -meter, 39%. I think. 
based on 281 reviews. Right. The audience score, 89%, based on 5,000 plus verified ratings. Right. So So the audience score is allegedly people who've gone to see the movie and submit their opinion to Rotten Tomatoes. Right. So there's a couple of things to pay attention to when we're looking at sort of so an aggregator situation like Rotten Tomatoes. So on the critic side of things, 281, those are all verified users, like verified critics. They are critics. This is what they do. That's their job. Quote, unquote, professionals. Professionals, right? So then over on the audience side, it's literally anybody that has an email account or can register through Rotten Tomatoes can air their opinion. And rather importantly, they don't have to have seen the movie. There is no way to qualify or verify that. So a person can actually provide a review of something they have not seen, um, which is, uh, you know, that's actually one of the ugly aspects of Rotten Tomatoes is that this thing, this phenomenon that's happened lately is that something will get review bombed. So if there's a perception, we talked in our last episode about, you know, conspiracy ideas that there's bribery going on and Marvel is paying for their movies to be reviewed well, et cetera, et cetera. And so disgruntled users will, in order to try and tank uh, a project, will actively put a one-star review. The crazy thing is that sometimes it even happens prior to the thing being released to the public. So She-Hulk was a victim of review bombing, for example, before it even aired on Disney Plus, there was... Okay, and so just, I just want to point out here. So we're talking about films, but Rotten Tomatoes applies to TV and streaming stuff as well. It's not just movies. That's right. So, and then, and, and, but it does happen with films too. In the case of Black Adam, and I mean, it the best we're ever going to be able to get is subjective analysis. But when I'm looking at it, is that from a reviewer's perspective, so a reviewer, again, they're someone of expertise. They haven't just seen DC action movies and they haven't just seen MCU. They have seen probably every superhero movie that's come out in the last 30 years, going back, depending how long they've been had this career, right? They They've seen the way superheroes movies have developed. They've seen the way that they've come along. And so generally what I was reading in the reviews of the critics towards black Adam is that it felt like it kind of was a step backwards in the storytelling methods that we've seen in some of the newer movies. So for example, it's quite a lot shorter than any of the previous DC movies, you know, like, which is kind of tough when you're going up against Zack Snyder, who's able to produce three and a half hours. Like it's going out of style. That's, that's kind of his thing, right? Um, Black Adam felt a little more like, or like, late nineties, early two thousands kind of storytelling, a lot of blunt force, not a lot of explanation, a lot of explodies, um, good action, right? The crazy thing is, and I've, I've always thought this was really funny is that you, you'll get reviewers, critics who are obviously are not perfect. And we talked about the fact that their view is subjective who you, you'll get critics that go, there's all of these crazy stunts and, and amazing, you know, well, not, they don't use the word. There's all of these crazy stunts. There's tons of explosions. The movie is just 90 minutes of action, you know, and, and they give it one out of four stars. And you're like, right. wait a minute. From what I read, 
that doesn't sound like a bad movie to me. <laughs> if you're talking <laughs> good stunts, big explosions, there are times I love a movie like that. And so then I will go and see the movie and go, that was great. That was a lot of fun. I wasn't expecting Shakespeare. So when I went in, I got what I wanted. And I think that's what happened with Black Adam is I think that the critics were like, you know, um, but I also think that the audience is tired of feeling like there's a lot of movies that are really messagey. And what Black Adam did differently is Black Adam had more of a moral conundrum as its question like um is a hero bad or good based simply on the perspective of one group of people right you have a guy who's protecting his nation his people love him and think he's great and call him a champion and a hero meanwhile the united states and other parts of the world see him as a threat and consider him a villain that's the question that's being asked there and it actually gives good reason throughout the film as to evaluate that as a viewer, but it's not so heavy that you have to pay a ton of attention to it. And I think that's one of the reasons it it was as well liked as it was. Um, but getting back to Rotten Tomatoes, Rotten Tomatoes, though, at the end of the day, too, is it's the problem with quality or quantitative measurement like that is that it's subject to tons of variables. When you have an individual who writes a criticism or writes a review of a film, they're giving their perspective. I recognize that's their perspective. Um, when I get the quantitative approach like that, I don't know where my favorite critics fit in because it's just a, a total number. It's not, there's nobody specific, right? Um, so I don't know whether my critic liked or hated it or, or the critics that would agree with me liked or hated it. Um, I also don't really have a sense as to like from the audience perspective, I think ultimately one of the best ways to use Rotten Tomatoes is to disregard the audience score at this point, because it's become a tool that is abused so much that it's not worth it anymore. Okay. So get into that. Okay. You had started in on She-Hulk and then I cut you off and then you went <laughs> in another direction. And I, okay. So what happened with She-Hulk? So She-Hulk was perceived as being all about, well, it was very political. It was seen as being, you know, quote unquote, woke and, you know, any of the little soundbite blurby things for political, you know, rights being pissed off with political lefts. Um, those things were thrown out there. Uh, even the fact that it was a female led show uh, was bothering to some people. Uh, the fact that, and, and what was kind of fun, actually, I thought, is that like She-Hulk has broken the fourth wall since 1980, like before Deadpool. And you could see the, the, the upset people who were saying they were fans of the comic, but were completely oblivious to the fact that, you know, she broke the fourth wall, yada, yada, yada. Um, there was people that didn't like the idea that they were being made fun of, ultimately, is really what it came out as, because... She-Hulk did an amazing job of catching out those toxic fans, the toxic quote-unquote fans, um, who were basically trying to tank the show before it ever came out because they had so much ill will towards this perception of bias, the perception of, well, basically the perception that a lot of people disagreed with their perspective, ultimately, is, is what it was about. Um, 
you know, and as you pointed out last episode, I mean, if you don't like it, don't watch it. The crazy thing is, is that it seems like these groups rile themselves up by feeling as though they have to watch it. Like I have to partake in it. I have to see it. It's like, well, you don't, you could just ignore it and, you know, move on to the next thing. Well, and realize that it's not being made for you. Yeah. And so why do you need to get in the way of somebody else getting something for them that they might enjoy or just allowing it to be? But okay. So like when, when stuff gets review bombed, how much of that is actual people and how much of that are like, are there bots? Are there people that have like 50 email addresses (laughs) so they can put in to be able to review bomb? Like it seems to have a coordinated group that invests that much time. Like, okay, first off, get a life. But second, like (laughs) there's gotta be mechanisms that allow people to do that. Yeah, sure. I mean, I just find mind boggling, but I think that there's a very, uh, so it's a bit misleading as to what's going on. So like it, for example, you pointed out that there was what you said, 5,000 currently on the, on the black Adam 5,000 plus yeah, audience reviews. Right. Um, so when we're looking at Rotten Tomatoes audience, right, we're looking at globally, you know, our population just hit 8 billion, right? Um, if we look at North America and other parts of the world, you know, even if we said that say 500 million people have access and, and look regularly at Rotten Tomatoes, which is probably high, but, um, the fact that only five, I mean, even if you have only like, even let's just say like 300 million people, okay. Population, you know, give or take of North America, <clears throat> 5,000 people writing a review of black Adam is not a sample size that's representative of the population. Right. So what you end up happening with, so like on She-Hulk, for example, I don't know how many off the top of my head She-Hulk has for her audience reviews. Um, I'm just trying to check here. Let me see if um, oh, it's got the scores, but it's not giving me the same kind of information that. So there's the opposite. So the the tomato meter mm-hmm. was eighty five percent. Audience score was thirty three percent. Okay, and does it have a number but as to how it, many? No, it's it's not giving me a number. Okay, and so but it might be so, because it's archived, but yeah, yeah. So the rule that applies though, basically is that when you have, so when you have reviewers that are reviewing anything that it is their job to do that, that is, so they're all there for a reason and for a purpose for an audience review, you can get, so it's the, (laughs) it's the same all over. You know, if you work in any kind of job, very rarely will you hear someone that comes to you and says positively, I like you. I appreciate what you do. Here's all the good things about you. You will more likely get the people who have a bone to pick, who come up with you and say, I don't like this. This is crazy. This sucks. This is terrible. And so even though your job could be going really, really well, you might occasionally feel like you suck because this one person, you know, out of a hundred was the one that came and talked to you. Right. The same principle applies on something like Rotten Tomatoes. So when you get a group, they're not coordinated. 
the thing is, is that they all read each other on, on YouTube or, you know, on comments and social media and things like that. And they will navigate to Rotten Tomatoes with the purpose of sinking or lifting a project, right? That that's what they'll do to try. And it actually, what they're doing is artif- creating artificial proof of that it's liked or not liked basically. Right. Um, however, they're not validate. They're not required to validate that in any way. So the other, th- the component about it that helps though, is that others who agree with me. So if thousands of people have also said they think that this or that is terrible, I see that as validation. But what I don't know is if 5,000 people have voted that down out of an audience of several hundred million, that, that means I'm in a very, very small group of people, right? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So why hasn't Rotten Tomatoes changed this? Like if, <laughs> if it's being obviously abused, or it seems to be abused, um, why haven't they changed it? Or can uh, they? <laughs> well, I think they, I think that the this is one of the ugly things about business. Really, is that uh, they don't care whether it's good views or bad views. They don't care if they drum up controversy. So, uh, a specific way to describe this is on Facebook. Rotten Tomatoes always posts what their scores are for new movies and stuff. And so if you like Rotten Tomatoes on Facebook, it'll come up in your feed and it'll say, this movie has an 86%, you know, and, and then people comment underneath various other platforms are like this too. YouTube works the same way. The, the comments aren't capable of being evaluated on individual platforms as to whether they're good comments or bad comments. So if they post what, even though it might be, you know, this is what the reviewer said. We don't have any sway over what they say, but this is what the reviewer said. And a group of people disagree with it. Suddenly there's, and then there's a bunch of people who agree with it, particularly then they, you get 500, you know, thousand, 2000, 5,000 comments, all of which contribute to how much money you get for advertising through those mediums like Facebook and YouTube, as well as the money that Rotten Tomatoes makes for ad support on their website. So I actually, as a, as a business owner or as a Rotten Tomatoes owner, it isn't strictly about being ethical. And again, we talked about this last time. They are also in it to make money. They are in it to benefit from, uh, they're there to benefit from people coming to their website. So if they, if their score happens to draw 5,000 people to give negative reviews, they don't really care. At least I wouldn't if I was the business owner. Yeah, that's 5,000 eyeballs that are clicking and their advertisers are happy and it means, and they're getting mentioned because even if they get a bad review, so like when the She-Hulk thing, it's like then the commentary was out there that, okay, well, you know, oh, the Rotten Tomato scores, you know, it was, it was so different with this and that, and people are review bombing, and so then everybody else is talking about Rotten Tomatoes, and so people get curious, oh, I'm going to go check out Rotten Tomatoes, and then it increases their traffic. So, yeah, I get I get your point that um, from their perspective, especially where they're not actually making 
an opinion on whether something's good or not. They're just collecting all the thoughts. That's right. And so they're kind of like removing that we're not responsible. We're just collecting the thoughts and people will think what they want to think and they'll make the comments and we're just a tool for you to use. So how do we use that tool responsibly then? (laughs) Like, what do we do with that? Well, I think to use it responsibly, I mean, like anything, ultimately, while they would suggest that they are more objective because they're aggregating reviews, that's not true. They are still a subjective view. It could, a movie could have 15%. Uh, so, you know, out of all of those critics, only 15% like the movie, but you do like it. That doesn't mean you're some loser because you disagree with all of those critics. It just means that, you know, it is what it is. So to interact with Rotten Tomatoes responsibly is to go, okay, I'm curious to see where things are at. Personally, I like I said, because the there's way more opportunities to manipulate the audience score, like you said, with bots and stuff. I mean, yes, that's possible. I guess I would wonder whether those that are really in the know in terms of how the internet works would bother because all it's really going to do is just make people more mad. It doesn't, but I mean, that's a thing too. So, but, so I would disregard the audience score completely would be first, first Mm -hmm. step. Um, I would use Rotten Tomatoes as a second source myself. So that means that I would read my preferred reviewers first, then go and look at what Rotten Tomatoes is saying. Um, And then I think also on the other side of things, if you are someone who thinks that Rotten Tomatoes is up to no good, then don't use it (laughs) because (laughs) because when you use it, you are encouraging it to continue. If you really hate it that much and it bothers you, don't engage because that is what they get paid to do is to engage you. They get paid to piss you off. They get paid to make you happy that, you know, that that's what they do. And so in terms of, you know, rotten tomatoes, you mentioned about a tool, right? I mean, you can use a hammer to build things. You can use a hammer to smash things. Um, Rotten tomatoes in and of itself is as it is. And you, you as an individual as well are not going to change rotten tomatoes. Certainly from not from doing an audience review, you are not going to change the critics opinions, you are not going to change anyone else's opinion because the, the catch 22 is yes, there might be 5,000 reviews uh, good or bad on this, but that means that your review, it's very unlikely someone would actually read it. All you'll be is one of 5,000 yeah. and something. So you really are not contributing anything of any value at any point um, unless you are one of the main contributors. And that, very well could be what makes people angry about using rotten tomatoes. But like I said, if rotten tomatoes makes you mad, then don't use it. (laughs) That's probably the best way I could, I could say it. Right. Yeah. So I'm looking at their list of the, the highest tomato meter readings Mm -hmm. and their first 30 I've heard of one. (laughs) Yep. So, you know, that could be, no, and doesn't say how many reviews when you just look at it. So, those could be all those diamonds in the rough. So that, you know, could be a tool to use to look, okay, maybe I'll see what these are. Or it could just be like, you know, yeah, I'm going to ignore that because <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to trust a hundred percent rating. Well, we um, also have to remember that cinema is capable of being art, right? It's capable like anything 
like you can get, <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm, if, uh, if I'm being mean to people who like, but if you like cheesy romance novels, right. You know, it used mm-hmm. to have, you know, fa- flowing long hair on the cover and, you know, this woman is swooning, you know, and it's pirate themed or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I think a lot of us would look at that and go, eh. however, very popular with a certain group, a huge group of people, right. Who, who love those books. Yeah. But also none of them would go, well, yeah, it, it's art. It's the height of literature. None of them would say that. Um, and yet you get also like, you know, we have this cumulative uh, library of, of historical. So like Charles Dickens, most people would agree that Charles Dickens is an amazing writer. How much Charles Dickens have you read? Very right. little. So I respect, I love yeah. Charles Dickens, what I have read, but I haven't read even close to as much of him as I have Stephen King, you know, that kind of thing. So when we see films like that, critics, when it's their job to see movies you're not going to want junk food all the time. There are things you're going to want to go and just go, Oh, that was beautiful. Well shot. Amazing story. It was something that just really added to the idea of filmmaking. You know, like 90% of the people on the planet are not going to be like, you know, I need to see this now, but there's a group of people that love to. And so that's why when we see that on rotten tomatoes, where it's like, I haven't heard of any of these, it's like, well, you know, it doesn't make you like a bad person or anything. It just means that we all like different things. And there's a reason some movies make billions of dollars and some play for a weekend in December at the box office to get the validation for an Oscar award. And then, you know, hopefully they get noticed at home video, you know, but it does bring us back to like our discussion last week that this is an important role of the critic the critic who gets paid to see all these movies and to make these evaluations on, you know, the, the artistic merit of them mm. so that for the common person who like, I don't, I don't have the time to simply just scour the internet or look at the marketing. And, you know, and probably some of these films never had any kind of marketing budget. They were just, you know, like you said, released on a weekend to, you know, to be released um, being able to find a critic. And, and I think you've made this point where find a critic that works for you. And, you know, if they recommend that diamond in the rough and you're in that kind of mood, then by all means go for it. And, you know, and rotten tomatoes. Okay. That's another tool. I went there. I saw, okay, here's 29 movies I've never heard of. You know, there's, you know, if I have that time, at least here's a place where I can find some information yeah. and get a little bit of a breakdown and say, hmm, okay, maybe that's something I want to, I do want to invest a little bit of time in. And, you know, worst case scenario, you know, I'm committing 90 minutes of my life to something and it could be, could be life altering, could just be an enjoyable way of spending 90 minutes, or it could be, you know, um, pride and prejudice and zombies, you know, it could be, <laughs> you know, could go anyway. Yeah. You know, and, and there's different reasons to watch films too. I mean, we don't, I guess like, and, and I guess we're kind of at the point where we should wrap up too. And, and maybe looking at, so moving away from rotten tomatoes specifically, like I said, it has its uses. Um, but in my opinion, it would be a secondary or limited source. You know, if you want to become more informed in movies in general or in cinema, 
Um, there's a couple of recommendations that I would make. Um, one is, you know, most people use YouTube these days, subscribe to a couple, like, uh, I use Joe blow movie trailers, um, is one that I subscribe to. Um, there's a few different ones, but if you just look up movie trailers on YouTube, you can find tons of channels. They publish trailers for every movie that comes out, not just the Marvel ones, not just, you know, the, the genre films, but they, they basically put everything out there. And I have found more movies that way. Um, and getting a, a sense for a larger, you know, like getting a larger sense of the picture, right. Of, of what movies are doing right now. Um, another thing that you can do that's actually quite common these days is seek out documentaries about filmmaking, um, about filmmakers, but also about like, I, I currently, uh, am watching through a, a, a third volume of in search of darkness, which is a history of a history and, uh, recounting of horror movies in the eighties. They have in search of tomorrow, which is science fiction films. They have in search of the last action heroes, which is about action. But there are so many wonderful documentaries about filmmaking. And if you really want to get a sense of the bigger picture without seeing hundreds of films, that's a good place to start. And then finally is finding critics that work for you. So it takes a little poking around at first, but eventually you should be able to find a few that kind of fit into a realm that, that you like. Um, so ones that uh, I would point out. So, so a couple of things to stay away from, find a critic who reflects your values and perspective, find one you tend to disagree with is what I would recommend. You don't mind their writing style, but they tend to see movies differently than you do to get a larger perspective. Stay away from reviewers who are prone to spoilers. If a reviewer or a critic is spoiling the film within their trailer and my area within their review, in my opinion, they're there to spoil it. They're not there to critique it. Um, or if they have a heavy socio-political bent. So what that means is if they are injecting meaning into the film based on their personal bias of their political views or their views of the world, you want to steer away from that because it's much too easy for a review to get into the weeds um, or a critique to get into the weeds based on that person's assumptions. Uh, focus on reviewers. Sorry, go well, ahead. Unless, of course, that's what you're wanting. Yeah. Like, I'll like a, a sort of example of that, but not quite like common sense media is reviews stuff from a family slash quasi Christian perspective, mm -hmm. you know? So if that's, if that's who you are and that's what you're looking for, you know, then go that direction. But if it's not, or if you're just a generalist, yeah, follow the stuff that you're saying. You want to avoid those things because they're going to have, they're going to come at it with, preconceived ideas. And I think that's where, like, I mean, you know, having a particular religious perspective is fine, if, especially if it aligns with yours and that's what you want. I, what I'm more getting at, I guess, is if a person is adding content that isn't there, like if it's not present in the movie, but they're injecting uh, that. They're, they're reading, they're reading, they're reading into, into it. it and it, you're it, saying, it, it, yeah. basically then you can make the critique, whatever you want it to be without even really dealing with the film itself. And it's unfortunate that that happens, but I think that, you know, you're kind of missing the point of, of review. So a couple of critical sites that I would recommend. So rogerebert.com still exists, even though its founder has passed away. However, they have a, a lot of really wonderful literate critics 
on there uh, who write relatively brief reviews. So we're talking 500 to a thousand words, usually um, very good, insightful. They give a good synopsis of the film without giving any spoilers. Um, I mentioned Richard Roper uh, in our last episode, and I want to bring him up again. He worked with Roger Ebert. Um, he's brief. Uh, they ref- and he reflects a variety of tastes. He sees a lot of different movies. So that's a critic. I kind of want to have uh in my reading is someone that sees a lot of different types of films. Uh, and then finally, Leonard Moulton, uh, like I said, he's been around for ages. Uh, more importantly, he's a historian. We mentioned that last episode as well. His reviews always bring the bigger picture of filmmaking with them. And so uh, to me, Leonard Moulton is very good at helping you appreciate the art of film and what makes a movie good and what makes a movie bad. I mean, again, in his mind, but he's a very uh, good teacher uh, and then someone that I really enjoy uh, reading. And so those are the ones that I would recommend. Yeah. Well, and, and even if you, if you hate the internet, um, <laughs> I know you go to public library and they'll have like Leonard Malton has, you know, the hundred best movies or thousand movies that you should see. And th- those type of things where, you know, he digs into the history and, and will give those perspectives type. Of, and you can, you can access it in other places as well. Um, not just the internet. If you're like internet illiterate, of course, you're probably not listening to this if you are internet <laughs> illiterate, but. but actually I remember when uh, we used to get Leonard, Leonard Malton had a, uh, a movie guide that like, it was like encyclopedic every year it would come out, you know, Leonard Maltin's critique yeah, you know, of yeah. 1996. And it would, it would sort of include all the movies from the last year, but it had, it felt like it had every movie ever made ever in it. Um, and it was great because it was just fun to sit down. I'd like, I was a dork, I guess, but I'd sit down and, you know, read through, see if I could find movies that I hadn't seen that it sounded really cool. Right. And so, yeah, you got to wonder, you got to wonder how many movies, a guy like that has seen right like that is legitimately seen yeah. that, that's got to be well it, it takes into like that malcolm gladwell you know like becoming an expert takes about ten thousand hours and you got to think that you know guys people that have guys that women and men who have been reviewing movies for you know 40 50 years they have well over like triple or or six times or 10 times that they've been watching movies. So they know what they're talking about. They know what they're saying. Um, And, you know, I think it's important if you really feel that passionate about film, then study it and, and gain a knowledge of it so that your opinion isn't just, you know, it sucks. (laughs) Or or I really like it. 10,000 hours. Yeah. 10,000 hours to become an expert. I, I'm probably an expert on friends then. So, <laughs> well, you don't have to be even, I mean, it's 10,000 hours of TV or 10,000 hours. I mean, I'm, uh, well, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I don't sometimes feel like an expert when then, it, but then when I think about the obscure things I know, I'm like, <laughs> it's not in a braggy way. It's in a, I should have done more with my life kind of way. Um, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, so what what else could I have filled my head with if I hadn't filled it with all of this? So glad I watched that movie. There goes grade ten math. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I think that's uh, that about covers it. Sorry, I just have this memory of watching a movie went back when we were in college at uh, at one of one of our teachers' place, and we finished. And I think it was Cliffhanger. Sylvester yep. Stallone. And as we're filing out and passing by him, he says, 
um, that's an hour and a half. You'll never get back. That's an hour and a half of your life. You'll never get back. <laughs> and so he wasn't a film critic, no. but he didn't care for the film. <laughs> so, <laughs> but he didn't, he just didn't like it because it had bad language in it. I mean, I have, I let's put it this way with cliffhanger, at least with cliffhanger, I have not gotten an hour and a half of my life back at least 15 or 20 times <laughs> with just that movie over the years. Um, Cause I like Stallone, but that's me. And I probably uh, for someone yeah. just well, completely invalidated the last two episodes by saying that I like cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> no, but okay. But the thing is really, and we made this point last episode in this episode, love what you yep. love. You know, you don't even need to justify it. You know, we're not critics. Love what you love and find ways to access the information that will lead you to those things and then enjoy it and just forget the rest because there's a lot out there. There's a lot of choices. Um, Critics will help you, can help you find those things. Rotten Tomatoes can help you. They're all tools. But at the end of the day, Find what you love, enjoy it, and ignore the rest. Absolutely. Totally agree. Because that's what I do with people. (laughs) I just stay home with the people I like, which is my wife, and I ignore the rest. I was going to say that explains why it's basically you, me, my wife, and two children that I spend time with. I mean, it is a little little (laughs) more than that, but, you know. Anyway, it's, uh, yeah, it's a good conversation, and... uh, Thanks for joining us tonight. Please feel free to tonight, today, whenever you're watching, listening to this, man, you can tell I'm old because I, well, they might be watching this on YouTube, but they're only going to hear things. It's not going to, anyway, please feel free to like, and subscribe as you will let us know uh, what you think about criticism and, and uh, yeah, share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. Well, yeah, unless of course you didn't like this, then just keep that to yourself. Yeah, and don't listen. To, and don't Maybe listen. That's how, to I'm going to finish anymore. every episode like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Mike.